Welcome to A Champion's Mind with your host, Mario Aroyave. Some say the sky's the limit. It isn't. The limit is in your mind. You believe that or else you would not be listening to this podcast. You believe that you could do more. You believe that you can perform at a higher level than you currently are. You are absolutely right. Thanks for being open-minded and allowing this podcast to help you develop a champion's mind. In this podcast, we'll discuss and hear about some mental strategies we can implement to help you achieve your utmost performance. If you feel like you're not performing at your true potential, this podcast will look to give you the keys that can open that lock. Welcome to part number two of the interview with Valeria Rodriguez. She is a runner. She was a high school, very successful high school runner, moved on to the collegiate ranks. She is now a proud mother and continues to run. In part number one, we looked at her, the beginning of her running career and had all that came about. And we traveled with her all the way through her high school running days at the Lords Academy down in Miami, Florida. In part number two, we're gonna pick it up in her collegiate career, talk some about that. And we're just gonna continue the progression all the way through to where she currently is. And you're gonna to wanna to stay tuned to the end of the interview. She's got a really cool project she's working on and so you're going to definitely want to hear about that so thanks for joining in hope you enjoy part number two without further ado here we go cool well let's let's switch gears a little bit here you talked a little bit about it but you did you have a mindset shift when you went from running in high school to college it was a little bit of the same one that i had from middle school to high school just a little bit more intense the the reality check that what just under two months prior was a big deal coming into college was the norm so the mind sh the, the mind shift that took place was more of okay you know we have to build from the ground up again uh, back to ground zero it was a, a, a dose of humble pie those first couple workouts but it was another beginning and I had gone through those before so I knew that it was going to be challenging, it was going to be painful, but it wasn't going to be impossible. I laced up for practice every day and hoped for the best, and I would call Montalvo after, after hard workouts and tell him that I got my life handed to me <laughs> by everyone. And he would tell me, you know, focus, kid, you know, keep your, keep your head up. You're there for a reason. And, and I'd go back at it at the next practice in the afternoon <laughs> and then back up again in the morning until I would run my blisters off my body. <laughs> Wash, rinse, and repeat, right? But I, li I, I like the way you put it. You said build, you know, it was time to build again from the ground up. If you're thinking of building, I mean, what goes into building, right? We'll just take building a house. I mean, it's called work, right? It's called a process. It's called you've got to build the foundation before you can put the roof on top. And then and then at the end of it all you get to move in the furniture and then you finally get to live there, you know? But but it's it's building and so you had this you had this mindset of we got to work, you know? We got to work. And the fact that you were able to be patient through like you said having your life handed to you in workouts and having to do this all over again and you're talking about having blisters like you were patient through all of that. It's because of your mindset that you brought in when you went to the University of Florida that you were able to be successful because, you know, I can't tell you, I've been around a long time and I used to follow running really, really closely in the state of Florida. And I can't tell you the amount of four or five star recruits 
such as yourself going from high school to college that just never panned out for one reason or another. They were just never able to, they were never able to even produce the times that they were running in high school on the collegiate level. And, and they were so fast that even those times they were running in high school would have made them semi-competitive at Division One level. But they were they were nowhere to be found, and I think it's maybe you know part of this process. Like they didn't have the I need to pick up a shovel again, and I need to start moving dirt, and I need to start building, and this is not going to be easy. Humility is awesome. I mean, I always encourage my athletes to have humility. If you have humility, you'll never stop working. If you're humble, you'll never stop working because you know that there's always something that you can be working on to make yourself better. And then when you're on a cross-country team, right, to make your team better. And so if everybody contributes to humility, it, it just – it works, and everybody's working, and, and then the team's getting better. And then all of a sudden you've got this snowball effect, and before you know it, nobody can stop you. It's just awesome how that works. Um, and Montalvo reminded us of that all the time, and he would take us to compete with stronger and stronger people all the time to keep us humble because in Florida we would race and we would be we would perfect score at races and we would you know we were kids so we would be like we rock and he's like yeah you want to see how much you rock he took <laughs> to North Carolina to race at the Great American Championships where I got to meet Alan Webb and a whole bunch of other amazing runners that we had only read about and we lined up with all these top schools in the nation and I remember I can't even remember what place we got but I have never seen so many girls in front of me in a race in my entire life like added up in one race and then when we walked out I know that we did pretty pretty well like we placed I think in the top 10 that year but still from always being first by a lot to then being you know in the top 10 we were shocked, and he's like, the competition is already training for their next race. We would wake up in North Carolina when we would train in the summers. At 5 a.m., he would, he would start the wake-up calls, and he would say, up and at him, ladies. The competition's already running. And he would always <laughs> remind us, anytime you think you're good, there's always somebody out there that's already training and is already better and is already stronger. Special teams and special athletes are the only ones that can tolerate coach that would be this demanding in terms of making you run up to your competition. I've seen it way too much where coaches will schedule easy opponents on purpose so that their teams can win big and so that their teams can gain confidence only to have it crumble down when they actually – compete against somebody who's decent or actually very good. But here, but here's the thing about it. You have to run your team in a certain way that allows your athletes to understand that there is somebody better than you and to have an understanding of that. And that even when you do win big, that there's a bigger fish out there somewhere. And eventually we're going to run into that fish and I'm going to make sure that we run into that fish. We're not going to avoid it. We're not going to we're not going to not schedule this team. You know, we're we're going to schedule them. And here's the deal, we're in for a dogfight. But the thing about it is he t- he takes you to Texas Relays. There's big fish and then you PR by 6 seconds. Well, that was part of the plan. See, if you have that mindset, then you guys will level up to your competition versus coming down 
to your competition. And I know that as a teacher, you know, I know that you probably do the same as I did. I would always give my kids more rigor in the classroom than less. I wouldn't want to give them easy tests that I knew they could get good grades on. I would give them the difficult tests. They wouldn't maybe make great grades on them at first, but little by little their performance would improve and begin to meet what I had as my standard for their performance. And then, similar to what Coach Montalvo did with y'all, then you hand that perform you hand that standard of performance and it actually becomes the students or the athletes standard of performance. It transfers from the coach or the teacher to the student or the athlete. And now all of a sudden you've instilled a belief in them that they can perform at a certain level and I mean the rest is history, right? Then yeah. we can let you go right, like with you, we can let you go off to college and, you know, run at a at a big program and it's like you've got these tools that you're able to use to continue to help make you successful. And I think managing failure is one of the most important skills that we're losing right now because we want to prevent, especially in schools and with kids, we don't, we almost don't want to let them fail or let them do bad, but they need to do that. They need to learn how to, do bad and like the engineering process says you you test it out it doesn't work and you go back at it again with a different formula and there were many races that you know I would push too hard in lap three and four and didn't have the negative split on the last lap and we would go back to the drawing board and we would fit figure out, you know, where that weakness came from. Was I not doing enough 200s or, you know, was I running too fast on the hard, on the, on the recovery runs, whatever it was, but he wouldn't get upset. He would only get upset if we didn't try our hardest, but if we went all out and, you know, sometimes he would say like rookie mistakes happen that we would race incorrectly it was just another lesson to learn from and a failure to to analyze, to pick back up. It was never like, oh, you didn't hit a certain time, so it's not okay. It was always run as hard as you can and race the competition. You know, the numbers will, will come. Notice what we're doing there, though, and I think this is the biggest reason why the culture and society doesn't want young people to fail but why it's okay, but we're not doing a good job of this. Notice what happened when you, for example, didn't have a negative split on the last lap of your race. Notice the questions that were being asked. You gave examples of maybe I'm not doing enough 200s in practice. Maybe I'm taking my easy days too hard. And you would sit down with your coach and you would talk about these things. Notice what we're not doing. We're not saying, well, Valeria, you're not very good. Valeria, you're not capable of running this time. We're, we're taking failure and we're looking at it as an event and we're not looking at it as the identity of the individual that has just failed. I think that's critical because part of what happens is when an athlete does fail, what they begin to do is they begin to question whether or not they're good enough or whether or not they're worth it to be at a certain standard in terms of their performance. And that is totally the wrong mindset to have. What you need to do is, like you said, the engineering process, you need to go back to the process of why it was a failure and fix that. 
The problem is not the individual human being. The problem is just something along the process just didn't go well to allow me to, in your case, to allow me to run this particular time. We're separating the event of failure from the individual, and I think that's critical because what our culture is teaching is that failure is a direct result of the individual who failed. That is wrong because you're going to lower confidence that way. Failure doesn't have to be something that lowers confidence. Failure can be something that, that actually motivates and that actually gets you hungrier to fix whatever it is that you go and you do. It's, it's kind of like, you know, I mean, we'll, we'll take it to school because we, you know, we're, we're both teachers and we've been teachers. But like when you can't figure out the math problem and you continue to run the math problem and you've got everybody around you who's good at math and you're just sitting there and you're working so hard to get it. And then you finally figure out the math problem and you finally get the same answer that the teachers got on the board and that all your friends around you have. That's rewarding. That in and of itself is worth the fact that you had to work so hard rather than looking over at your friend's paper and copying their answer. That was failure, but was it really? Like I, I ended up getting the right answer. And whether that was five minutes after my buddy did next to me or not, I still got the right answer. And there's still something to be celebrated in that. Take us to a memorable race. A race that, I mean, when I say that, you remember it, you're like, okay, here we go. Oh, there's a lot of very vivid memories in my brain I already took you to that one in the first cross-country race in high school and I talked about Texas relays so I guess one other one was my junior year at states it was at the uh, University of Florida track and I lined up after having gotten second in the mile by a second and mm -hmm. that was the race that I wanted to win that was my go-to. I ran five flat, and the girl before me ran a 4.59. So not only did she break five, but she beat me. <laughs> so I lined up, and, you know, just life is Legos. You build back up. Coach was like, recover and get back out there. So maybe like 20 minutes later, I was out on the line again. We started running. He said, you know, you're, you're a little – more tired than the rest of the girls because all the girls are coming in with fresh legs so just keep that in mind you may have to start kicking before they do keep that in the back of your head and we started running we turned the first loop and we were all together at the lap I heard the bell and I started picking it up going closer to the front when I got to the 300 I heard the announcer say that one of the girls had started to pick it up and so I started to pick it up and then he said that he started saying that she was going faster. He started talking about her stride. And I'm like, where is this girl? Like, she's coming up behind me. I can't even hear her. By the time I got to the 200, I was at an all-out sprint for, for my life because this announcer kept talking about this girl that was coming. And it was from another team, from Bishop Kenny, actually. When I crossed the finish line, frantically, I looked back, and the next girl was maybe 60, 70 meters down the track. And I looked <laughs> up the announcer box, and he's like, sorry, ladies and gentlemen, that was Valeria Rodriguez. Oh! And I was like, this whole time, I thought there was a girl coming up on me, and there wasn't. But because of him, I ended up racing myself for the state championship. <laughs>
Yeah. Wow. That is. Yeah. 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 Holy cow. That's awesome. That's a. That's a great story. And because it was at the UF track, and I had a picture of me crossing the finish, and the other girls like you know in the back like at the end of the. It it almost looked like they were at the end of the hundred meters because they looked so small in the picture. Yeah. My dad blew it up for me when I got to to my dorm, and it was the first picture in my dorm. And he said, you know, you were meant to race here. So it was, it was just special. Awesome. Cool. Good deal. Let's go to the other side. Has there – have you had any races where just nothing seems to go right and you kind of perform below your expectations? It's funny. I would call it selective amnesia. <laughs> I would say that there were hundreds of races like that. I don't specifically remember any because over time, like, they just became part of the backstory. Um, yeah. Stepping stone. And it's not that I I don't remember that they happened and I pretend that they didn't happen, but I just wouldn't replay them after I would close that chapter. I would take what I needed but I wouldn't let it replay in my brain in part because it would instill doubts, but I would rather replay the races where I would win and I would do better so that I could be in the right place mentally when I would line up the next time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I I mean that on Monday I did a race, a mile race. I don't think I've run in the six minutes since eighth grade um, and I raced the 604, and I just smiled lap three as I was coming across the, you know, for the bell lap, and I knew that I wasn't going to have a crazy last lap that would get me into the fives, but um, but I smiled because it being there and seeing and, you know, leaning into the curve and and I thought, you know, I'm very fortunate to have been racing all these years and still be so in love with this sport. So I took the 604 and I smiled and then I watched my son line up for the 200 and I smiled even more seeing him run across the finish. The reason why I asked that question is to follow up into this next question. Would you say that most competitions are characterized by, like, I don't have the best legs that I've ever had. In other words, I don't feel untouchable, but I don't feel terrible either. I'm somewhere in the middle, and I'm just having to work with what I've got on the day. Would you say that that's an accurate statement? For sure. I don't think that I've – I think if I've lined up for one race where everything has been perfect, I would almost be lying (laughs) because there's always something. There's – there's always a blister, a stomach ache, a headache, a, a nerve ache. There's always someone you see that looks legit that you never, you know, looked up or had no idea they were coming. There's always something. Even my last triathlon, I got second overall, and two days before that, I had an ovarian cyst rupture. <laughs> you know, and and the doctor was like, "Well, if it's not that big of a race, you probably shouldn't race." Because you have two other ovarian cysts. And I'm like, well, like I'm kind of okay now. <laughs> and I said, I'll take it into consideration. And I, I knew I was going to race anyway. But I just told her that to make her feel better as a doctor. 
<laughs> right, right. Um, but they always fall somewhere in between, and I always go back to it's a choice. You have once the gun goes off, you have a choice that you're going to almost will yourself to the finish line if you need to, and no matter what, you're going to get there. Just you know, there may be other things that play into how fast or how slow you get there. But if you always, if you ever expect to have a perfect scenario for your race, then you're setting yourself up to fail. And that's why Montalvo would have us run when we had stomach aches. We would run when we had our period. We would run when we had headaches. We would run through breakups. We would run through any emotional disadvantage that we could encounter during a race. We would run through those in practice, and then we could always go back to that and say, well, you know, we ran through this. When when my son's dad said he wanted a divorce, I signed up for a marathon, <laughs> and I ran myself through that process for three months until race day, and and I was able to process and digest it that way and pick back up from ground zero up again because, you know, that's just it's just been ingrained. It's a process that's been ingrained into expecting things not to be perfect and knowing that you have to perform regardless of the environment. Yeah, and there's a lot, you know, there's a growing body of research, just quickly here to mention this for anybody that's interested. There's a growing body of research in the fact that you actually should schedule in less than ideal scenarios into your training if you don't have them. The choice to take a day off after you've had a long day at work every single time you've had a long day at work is not a good idea. They're starting to say, hey, you know what? If you've had a long day at work and you're tired and you get home and you've got to train, do it. The numbers might not be pretty. The workout might not be the best workout you've ever had, but here's here's the thing about it. What you're getting out of that workout is you are mentally building grit. And that's important. But they're saying that there's a balance with that, right? They're saying doing that every single day is not good either because obviously, you know, you've got physiological responses like cortisol levels going up and stuff like that. And that's where you might get sick and you might get injured. But they're saying, hey, every once in a while, if you've got less than ideal conditions that you need to train in, like you need to go do that, you know, and you need to not choose to, you know, sit on the couch and take the day off that day. You need to you need to put yourself in those mentally taxing positions and just get it done and, and if you get it done ugly then you got it done ugly but at least you got it done if you can do that enough times then on the day when it's just on a scale of one to ten it's a three in terms of a headache instead of a seven like it usually is it's like oh my gosh i'm ready to go like this is the best day ever you know like it's only a three it's a very dull headache instead of the pounding headache i usually have just to use an example and then all of a sudden you're off you know you're off to the races same thing with weather. People sometimes go, oh, it's too hot, or it's too, it's raining, or it's, the ground is, is not right. You never know what the race conditions are going to be. So we would, we would almost, I would say that he, he our high school coach had a, a pact with the devil because it would almost like just, just under like lightning, crazy weather, except for the lightning. He'd like hold off on it. The second the whistle blew for de- practice being done, the heavens would light up and you would see this firework system of lightning. And we were like, what? Like, how did that hold off just long enough for us to run? 
I mean, you never you never know what conditions you're going to have, and you have to be ready. Taking certain days of the week where, like, I'm on the bike over here in Texas at, like, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and it's, like, 95, 96 degrees with a heat index of, like, 105, and I'm just doing it a couple of times a week. I'm not trying to get crazy with it, but just because if I can take that on, then days when it's cooler are going to be just – quote unquote, not really, but, you know, more of a walk in the park. What do you think the role of the mind is in running or athletics in general? Because you're triathletes, you've done triathlons. I think it plays um, a very important role, whether you're in shape, it, it plays different roles. When you're in shape, the mind is important because it that confidence that you build up with all the training you've done, but you can also see it how I had some friends that would psych themselves out before they raced because, you know, they didn't have a, a shirt or they didn't have a, a specific song that they would hear. So the mind is, is extremely powerful when you're in shape. And when you're in, not in shape, all these doubts also can creep in and you know make you question what you're doing when physically your body sometimes will surprise you if you just get through things and quiet the mind a second of all of the influences you'd be surprised and the 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 body has almost like stored these stored performances ready to be unleashed when you when you allow them to actually run its course and not – I know a lot of people that, that talk to themselves throughout the whole race, and they may not even go as hard during the race because they think that they're going to die out. And so they get to the finish with all this energy, and it makes you wonder, well, you know, what, what were you so worried about, dying out? Like, what's the worst that can happen? You slow down or you PR, you know, one or the right. other. So Fear of failure, like we talked about. You know, a fear of failure is what is what causes that. One of the quotes that I've been personally applying myself was by Eleanor Roosevelt, who said, do something that scares you half to death every day. You know, when you get to a race and you're willing to do something crazy, like you're looking to start your kick at 200, but you just decide to like swing for the fences at 500 and just go for it because there's somebody in front of you or there's a certain thing that you want you'd be surprised, right? Like what the results of that are. And then all of a sudden you're like, whoa, I can start my kick at 500. Like, that's crazy. I would have never thought that, but okay, that's my new, that's my new bar. That's my new limit. You know, you just keep always, always pushing, pushing limits back. I want to talk about, you've got something really cool coming up that you're going to be doing. You're going to be competing in a triathlon. I'm going to leave it there. I want you to tell, tell them what you're going to be doing here in a little bit. February, so a couple of months down the road, I will be competing with a friend named Carrie Grusin, who is a functional paraplegic in a 70.3, a half Ironman in Cuba. So I will pull her in a raft for 1.2 miles, and then I will pull her attached to my bike on a trailer for 56 miles, and then I will push her for a half marathon in, in that same trailer where we've raced before we've raced shorter races sprints international races she's raced one full Ironman with another friend of mine 
She's always looking for the next challenge, and this will be her first time competing in international waters and international soil. Actually, it'll be my first time visiting Cuba, too, so I'm excited as well. It's definitely going to be a big challenge because it takes me... My last two half Ironmans have been the same exact time, 524. I know that I will be out there probably for seven-plus hours. It's going to be difficult, but the, sometimes the bigger the challenge, the bigger the opportunity is for you to test yourself. All other races, the pressure for the number, the time, the place is almost eliminated when I race with her because when we stand on the line, we stand on the line for the best experience we could get, the best that I could perform with her, but there's no set bar that I have to reach or time that I have to hit. So it takes off a lot of pressure, but it's also very physically challenging to complete. I'll put some information for those of you that are interested in keeping up with that. I'm going to definitely put some information in some notes where you can find out more information on that. And so I know that you guys are looking to, so talk about some, you're talking about wanting to do some upgrades to the the bike. So can you talk a little bit about that for anybody that might be interested in helping out there? Well, right now she currently has a trailer system that is not very aerodynamic. For example, I raced with her in a sprint triathlon a couple months ago, and I averaged 12 miles per hour on the bike. And I'm a speedster, but in the half Ironman, I averaged 20, and I there were points where I would hit 25 on the bike. If I'm going to do a half Ironman with what I did in a sprint, which is a hiccup, <laughs> Um, that's going to take a really long time. Also, when you're out there, it you know it takes a toll on her body as well because she can't adjust herself. She has some you know rigid muscles and very limited motion with her arms. So she would need a setup that is ergonomic and comfortable for her to sit in for those hours. We would need something that's lighter and faster so that we can actually propel forward efficiently. I feel like a lot of our energy and a lot of our strength, and I say our because she has an entire team of athletes that compete with other herself and other adaptive athletes for, for her organization, which is Thumbs Up International. All of our energies and, and strength during the races are somewhat lost in translation because you have extremely strong cyclists that are pulling at 17 miles per hour all out. They race, you know, 30, 32 miles per hour. They're, they're pulling her at, at 17, 18 miles per hour. Yeah. So we want to transfer a little bit more of that power. And also make it so that the race is a little bit more doable, as exhausting. It sounds crazy, yeah. but but um, but yeah, we want comfortable, we want uh, lighter, and we want safe as well. So we hope that we can figure out a design soon and see how we can best get that done. She's going to be competing with another friend of mine in October 
in in the Miami 70.3. So we'd like to do a test run of the trailer by then. And then have all the T's crossed and the I's dotted by January so that we can fly over to Cuba in February. Good. Well, that, like I said, that's all exciting. And, you know, I know that there are probably some folks that are interested in that. And so I will definitely put some information there where people can reach out to you and that organization and stuff. And so any way that, you know, they would feel led to be able to assist you guys in that. Before we wrap up, people listening to the podcast. So they've been listening to this, this whole thing. But I want you to kind of land the plane for us. Give those people listening just some advice. What would you tell them? That's hard. It almost sounds a little cliche. I would I would definitely have to say love your life. Live a life that you feel lucky to be living. And just the way that you visualize winning races and and podiuming, live a life that you visualize yourself podiuming in other aspects. And I get emotional cuz I feel like having that drive to succeed, that will and that that hope that that you can accomplish is what gets you through the the messy and the bumpy and the the not so perfect days. Let me just take that and talk about one of the stories you said like you just ran a race, you ran like 605, you hadn't done that since 8th grade, but you crossed the line and you said it in the podcast. You said I crossed the line, I didn't get under 6, but I started thinking to myself, I'm still in love with this sport. Like I'm still in love with running and the joy that it brings me and then you watch your sun race and that brought you joy and here you are, you've been over a minute faster at some point in your life than you just were earlier this week, but you still love it and you still get joy from it. That's the key. And that's how we find people that are like 75 and they're still running. Or this woman that you're going to be helping in this 70.3, she's in her 60s and she's doing Ironmans. That's how we last in a particular sport or a passion is because we love it and it just we continue to do it. And even though the level goes down, because it's physiology, right? Like as you get older, you get slower. I mean, I hate to tell people out there, but you know, if you're young, you know, I'm telling you, it's coming for you at being 36 myself. <laughs> if you truly love it and you truly enjoy it, whether you're getting slower, it doesn't matter. You can still find something, the wind blowing in your hair, the thrill of just lacing your shoes up or whatever it is that drives you, right? You can still find enjoyment in that. And the results, like we said, the results are they're like not even important. It's all about the process and the journey. Valeria, you have been awesome. You've been an awesome guest. You've shared some great stories. I have thoroughly enjoyed this interview. I just thank you so much. Before we go, I want to give you an opportunity to tell people where they can find you if they want to keep up with you. Give us the organization that you're going to be partnering with for this Ironman. Anything else that you want to give us please go ahead and do that now. Instagram right now is my fastest updates. So Valeria R1 is where most of my stuff goes up. And I put links there to anything that I write or any updates that I make on my website. And my website is whyrunnow.com. That one actually started just because of what you were mentioning now. Sometimes we ask ourselves, like, why am I running? Why am I still doing this? And over the years, I've always found a reason. I've always found uh, an answer that has gotten me out to my next training. 
and some of them were to catch people, some of them were to lose baby weight after having my son, some mm -hmm. of them were to regain confidence, some of them were to regain an identity, some of them were to prove a point, some of them were just to catch up with old friends. It comes back to answering that question with a reason that's strong enough to get you out the door. And just like love, people throw that word around a lot with people, with things. Love is a choice, and it's an act of the will, and, and that's what this sport is. It's what you do when the feelings aren't there. I don't always enjoy every run or every training session, but you remember the bigger picture. And you know that you have to get through the other parts, and it's just part of what's going to make something else that much sweeter later on. I remember I was at a Don Shula 5K in Miami Garden. I remember seeing this lady that won the Masters race, and I turned to my dad and I said, that's my goal. I want to win Masters races. And I still say it. like I Even if I go to Kona because everyone else is dead, <laughs> I, my goal is to compete until my legs physically cannot run anymore and maybe then I'll just swim only and I'll compete in swimming but <laughs> I'm going to compete until like my body can't do it anymore and then maybe my son will pull me in a trailer just to keep me racing that sounds good okay so we've got your Instagram we've got a website why run now anything else thumbs up international is Carrie's organization for changing perspectives on disabilities and abilities, too. She sometimes says that the, the biggest handicap we carry is between our ears. Valeria, once again, thank you so much. I have thoroughly enjoyed this. Those of you listening, I hope that you've enjoyed this. This There's a lot of value here, so if you need to go listen to it over again, I think you should because this is one you – this is one that might be good to take notes on. So, Valeria, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. That was a fantastic podcast with Valeria Rodriguez. I hope that you thoroughly enjoyed that. Thank you guys for going to iTunes and checking it out. Got a couple calls to action for you if you guys wouldn't mind. Number one, if you're liking this and you want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming podcasts, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. That would be great. Also, while you're there, if you wouldn't mind leaving a review for me, that would really help me out and I would really appreciate that. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm trying to provide value for you guys and trying to give you guys some content that would help you guys out. And so if you wouldn't mind sharing this stuff so that we can get it into the hands of other folks that we believe might benefit from this content as well, then that would be fantastic. My goal is to help you guys so then you guys can go ahead and turn around and help others. I've got the Facebook page, Utmost Performance. If you want to go check that out, there's some content on there. I've also got the website, utmostperformance.org, if you want to check that out with some more info. And if you guys want to go ahead and reach out to me, mario at utmostperformance.org, you guys go ahead and email me and let me know. I've got an offer on the table where I will give you a 30-minute consult with me just so you can test the waters and see what this mindset coaching thing is about. I'd love to chat and connect with you. Once again, thank you guys so much for listening. Until next time. Thanks for listening to A Champion's Mind. As you continue to implement the content discussed here, you'll move closer and closer to performing at your utmost potential. Keep challenging yourself and don't settle until you achieve your goals. If you can't wait until the next episode to do some more work on your mental game, 
head over to utmostperformance.org where you can find some more content to consume. You can also like our Facebook page, Utmost Performance. We sincerely value your support as we continue to partner together to help you perform at your utmost.